Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. to unpack today's topic with all of you, which is about how to do it all. Whether you're an overwhelmed parent or caregiver or aspiring to build a career and life you love or lacking the support you wish you had to be able to take care of yourself and everything else in your life, doing it all can be really tough. And in the midst of the chaos, we tend to be hardest on ourselves. So, I called an expert on this topic, Dr. Gitima Sharma of California State University, who not only studies well-being as a counselor educator, but is a parent to young kids and a Buddhist practitioner who has been able to use chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo to strengthen her own sense of purpose and ability to do it all. We cover everything from what Buddhism says about mastering time to what we can learn from new research on purpose and well-being. I'll let Gitima share the rest. Yeah, so I am Gitima Sharma. I am originally from India, moved to US in the year 2007 to pursue my master's and then PhD in counseling. And um, I live in California now with my wonderful husband, Rishi, and my two sons, uh, who are seven and two and a half years old, Riyanch and Ayanch. And I work as an associate professor at California State University. Amazing. Um, Yes, I'm super excited to have this conversation because it sounds already like you have the parent perspective of a lot on your plate. (laughs) And also, um, you know, just to dig in more to your field of work will be interesting. Um, But I always like to start every episode with a little bit of background on kind of who we're talking to in terms of Buddhism. So if you could just briefly share the story with me of how did you first encounter SGI Nichiren Buddhism and what was kind of going on at the time that you were interested in trying to chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo? Yeah, you know, I was um, I was in my high school around, you know, 16, 17 years old when I was really seeking um, philosophy or, you know, I don't know. I was just seeking a way to really strengthen my own sense of hope and sense of power from within because I was dealing with really low self-esteem and a lot of sadness and powerlessness because... Um, both my parents were dealing with major depression as well as suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, even if I was trying all these different forms of meditation or fasting or going to temples, and even if all that brought me some sort of like, you know, peace of mind, but I was not feeling empowered that I can change my circumstances, that my parents can become happy and that, you know, I can become a person shining with confidence, right? And at that time, one of my teachers, you know, um, shared with me a book by Daisaku Ikeda, a Buddhist philosopher. And uh, once I read his book, uh, I don't know why, but I felt this uh, sense of belief in the dignity and the potential of my own life and that of others, including my parents, And then I went to my teacher and I asked her, how can I stay in touch with such encouragement forever in my life? And she welcomed me to an SGI meeting. And initially when I attended, you know, SGI uh, meeting, which is our Buddhist community, uh, I, yeah, I loved the meeting. I loved the conversations, but I was still not convinced about chanting of Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. And uh, you know, and especially my parents were really concerned because they felt that maybe I'm changing my religion, you know, when I was born as Hindu. But, you know, gradually through attending SGI meetings, I started feeling that, you know, through the practice of chanting Namioho Renge Kyo, I can really bring forth my own life's inherent courage, compassion, wisdom, and joy, and that of my parents. Mm-hmm. And just as it takes one sun to eliminate all the darkness, 
once I become happy and empowered, I can truly remove the sense of despair that I was feeling in my own family. So I started chanting no myoho renge kyo and uh, and that's uh, and that's exactly what happened. I started feeling much more happier and confident but also my parents started feeling happier and um, you know within my first few months of practice my mom wanted my siblings to go to SGI Buddhism meetings with me then she started chanting no myoho renge kyo mm-hmm. so many of my cousins and friends did and that's how you know uh, my practice began. And my parents also overcame depression and we were able to really enjoy the harmonious times that uh, my heart was seeking for. Mm. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, I'm, I'm just imagining at that age how heavy it must have felt, you know, for your, to, to witness your parents going through something um, so heavy, especially in terms of mental health when you yourself are the, are the child. I feel like we could do a whole episode on just that experience. Um, but uh, if, if you don't mind, just one follow-up question. You know, I'm just thinking from the perspective of people who are new, um, particularly, it sounds like what you're saying is that you changed. So that analogy of like being the sun, like you started feeling more hopeful and, you know, you were able to sort of introduce so many people around you to this practice and then they became more empowered. Um, but I don't want to just gloss over like how serious it can be when it, when it comes to mental health. So just in case there's anyone listening who might have a family member or a relative also going through something like that. Um, yeah. W- was there sort of a, a turning point or anything that you kind of felt like, oh, well, this is because of my Buddhist practice or um, now my parents are able to receive the help or find the way that they needed to overcome this. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was uh, it was truly not that easy, <laughs> you know, how it now sounds after all these years, you know. But I remember once I started chanting Nami Oho Renge Kyo, that was also a time period when the level of depression of my father was such that, you know, he was... Um, he would spend hours alone in the room or was going through really a lot of, um, you know, hurt and anger and, uh, you know, just uh, so anything, you know, at home could have triggered, right? His, you know, sense of deep sadness and hurt and, you know, him spending hours alone, you know. Um, so, you know, when I started chanting, right, like, you know, in those moments when I witnessed acute depression or him being so hurt or so angry or so isolated, I finally felt that I had a place in my own home, you know, the place where I had enshrined, you know, the scroll we chant to as our object of focus, you know. And and I just remember like going there and just chanting, you know, and not giving up. And really as if calling forth, his own limitless courage and, you know, joy that resides within his own art. And I could really feel this shift in my heart, right? This shift that instead of seeing him as someone who is dealing with depression, I could see him as my amazing father who is giving me this opportunity to be able to continue to believe, you know, in the fact that in those moments of suffering they have this potential to be happy mm-hmm. and through chanting nam yoho renge kyo i am creating this cause this sound that can create this effect of bringing out that potential out and that's why i felt so empowered mm-hmm. and after a few months chihi what started also happening was that in those moments when i was chanting my father started sitting in the same room because he started sharing that he really felt you know, some sort of like power or comfort in this sound of Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. And he's the one also who always dropped me to my SGI Buddhist meetings, picked me up and started engaging in these conversations in the car of this beautiful philosophy. And uh, so over time, you know, and in India, unfortunately, At that time, you know, there was a lot of like stigma associated with seeking care for mental health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my parents were not really able to go to a counselor or a therapist to seek support. But I feel like our family atmosphere just started becoming so much more happier Mm -hmm. and embracing. And uh, 
And I think that became a really significant cause for their happiness and overcoming depression. Wow. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing. That's, yeah, that's an incredible experience. And yeah, just so encouraging because I, I could, you know, see that transformation little by little that you're describing of just hearing you chant and engaging in more dialogue. Um, these things seem so simple, but actually they can be so nourishing when you're in a very dark place, not only for ourselves, but for other people. So thank you for sharing. Um, so, uh, so I feel like you've interestingly already begun to foreshadow this because uh, if I'm understanding correctly, this kind of early experience in, in kind of understanding and dealing with um, the, the sort of experience your parents went through or witnessing that, it opened up this path for you to engage in your own Buddhist practice and then decide this is really for me. But I understand that the field of work that you chose is also sort of related to human potential and counseling and psychology. So before we get into the topic for today, do you mind just briefly, like, so so people understand who we're talking to, like, what is your field or your training? Um, kind of what, what do you do? And then uh, and then we'll move into today's questions. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, so currently I'm working as an associate professor uh, in the Department of Counselor Education and Rehab at California State University, Fresno. And, uh, you know, I basically teach students who are pursuing their master's degree in counseling. So those who are aspiring to be school counselors, college counselors, you know, marriage and family therapists, rehab counselors, and um and it's so fun, you know, to be able to teach them and supervise them and listen to the struggles that their clients might be going through or students dealing with mental health concerns in schools might be going through. And then integrating this knowledge of counseling and, you know, especially positive psychology in a way that they can benefit, you know, the clients that they are serving. And also my research focuses on the topic of sense of purpose and meaning in life you know, the role it plays, especially for young people. And um, and recently, uh, you know, I have started also focusing my research on, um, you know, just overall how to cultivate a culture of care for oneself and for others rooted, you know, in dignity of life or this belief in potential of life. Mm. So that's my research on and in terms of, um, you know, other things that I do is that, uh, you know, I am right now co-chairing a mental health task force at my university, again, with this vision on how to promote mental health and well-being among entire campus community, right? Students, staff and faculty members. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I'm yeah, so intrigued by all of that and excited to ask more. Thank you for sharing. Um because so so the topic I wanted to ask about today and, and why I reached out and I'm so grateful that you were open to having this conversation is because um, broadly speaking, this kind of struggle to manage all of our responsibilities in life is it's fairly universal. It seems to be getting worse, you know, from for for instance, young parents or just parents in general who are working, um, managing care responsibilities and work is just monumentally difficult. The pandemic made it so much worse. But then even at the college level, like I hear more and more and I read more and more how burnt out college students feel, how overwhelmed they feel with their workload. And then there's this like impending sense of uncertainty and potentially doom when it comes to the job market and surviving after school. Or It's just like so much anxiety, so much chaos. And here we are trying to like manage these huge to-do lists of caring for ourselves, caring for our families doing our jobs, you know, and then worrying about the state of the world. So <laughs> painting that picture, uh, I wanted to sort of unpack with you a little bit with the Buddhist perspective on kind of quote unquote doing it all is, um, especially for those listeners who might be in that situation. So you're like a busy working parent or maybe you're a caretaker or maybe you just juggle multiple responsibilities or projects, you have a side hustle, you know, it could be anything. Um, so let's start with the personal piece of it, because uh, it sounds like you have very young children <laughs> and you are doing a lot career wise. So, yeah, sort of what is your personal approach to to doing it all? And do you have any experience with this being a bit challenging? Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is so challenging day to day, moment to moment. 
And, you know, I often hear this term, right, like in literature or in, you know, discussions on work-life balance. Mm. But I'll be very honest, I don't feel that I am always able to experience this state of equilibrium or this perfect balance, right, in all aspects of my life, especially that of a parent, you know, and uh, and someone who is aspiring to greatly advance people's well-being through my career. But, you know, one thing that I really feel is that, is that when I chant, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, I am truly able to feel that I'm able to move things, you know, things in terms of my own wisdom, the way I am perceiving something, my own courage, inner strength, you know, my own, you know, unique inherent abilities, as well as things in terms of the support of others and the opportunities that my life attracts, you know, in the direction of me being able to ultimately fulfill the purpose behind striving to do it all Mm -hmm. in different areas of my life. So there are days when I feel so overwhelmed with my ever-growing to-do list and I'm just feeling like, oh my gosh, I have only 24 hours and my to-do list keeps growing for all these aspects of my life, especially these three beautiful aspects of my life, which is my amazing kids and my husband and then everything that comes with taking care of a family, you know, and then also, you know, my career and uh, my career has different dimensions to it. Like there's teaching, there is research, there is service, you know, so within my career aspect, it feels like to-do list in different areas. And then my community, you know, and my community in terms of all the community activities I'm able to engage in, and especially the activities that I'm able to participate through my Buddhist community of SGI, and there's so many amazing value creating activities like peace exhibitions, dialogues, you know, some small group meetings. And I love doing it all because it brings so much joy to me. And, uh, you know, those in my immediate, you know, environment, uh, neighborhood, for example. But um, but I realized that when I see do it all only in terms of my to do list, then I do feel limited. Or when I look at my to-do list only in terms of the amount of time I have, Mm. I do feel uh, this sense of self-doubt that can I do it all, right? But when I start chanting Namiya Horenge Kyo and I'm able to deeply dig into the underlying purpose behind all these aspects of my life and then this, you know, this profound sense of appreciation to be able to like really have this whole fulfilling life in which I can confidently and so happily say that, you know, I'm really enjoying my family and the time with my beautiful two kids. So, and that I want to savor every moment I get with my little ones because they grow so quickly or that I'm really enjoying this beautiful comradeship with my amazing husband who is just so supportive and sometimes on weekdays we will do our own karaoke nights and we will dance at home and you know watch our you know favorite movies that so when I'm filled with this appreciation to be able to experience that joy you know in my life that comes from my family or the sense of fulfillment that comes from engaging in my career or the sense of connectedness and not being alone during my struggles that comes from engaging in my you know, community activities, mm-hmm. I then don't see it as a heavy list that I'm trying to carry, but more like, wow, I have the opportunity to be able to do my best in a way that's unique to me, unique to my circumstances, true to myself, in line with my purpose, filled with appreciation. Then it becomes um, not just manageable, but enjoyable, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So... Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I feel like you've painted this uh this beautiful vision of how it could feel. <laughs> it doesn't always feel that way, but I this distinction that you're drawing between uh viewing your life as a series of tasks or a to-do list versus, you know, uh pieces of a of something that is driven by a larger sense of purpose or joy is huge, right? But um and and you're totally right. I've experienced the same thing like 
like chanting. Well, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, right? So for those who are new, chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is fundamentally a way to elevate what we call your life condition or your life state. And so when you're in this more expansive, compassionate, joyful place, you know, you view everything completely differently. Um, but I, I would love to unpack a little bit about what that difference is, like what you're, what you've started to touch on, right? Cause you can will yourself mentally into, okay, I should view things this way. I should view things as a sense. Of, I have a greater sense of purpose, but then like, if you're so tired or you're so sleep deprived, it's kind of hard to do. So, um, let me think of how I should ask this question. I guess like, why don't we start with the, with the struggle a little bit? So, you know, uh, drawing on your work as well. Um, there's many things that make us feel like it's really hard to do it all. And that might be either you have too much on your plate or you're not able to take care of yourself. Um, but it can also come from what you touched on, like self-doubt or comparing yourself to other people or being a perfectionist about the way you have to, I don't know, be a mom or be a professor, be whatever role it is you're playing. So uh, just starting there, like, yeah, where do you think these sort of struggles come from? Um, or why is it that we struggle to do it all? Like, what's the how do I say, like the place we don't want to be? Let's start with defining that before we move into the alternative, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, you know, for, uh, yeah, um, yeah, you know, this opportunity to be able to, you know, talk more, right, about this place of, uh, and I think the way I define this place that, you know, makes me feel sometimes, you know, this uh, self-doubt or tendency to judge myself based on, whatever expectations I am putting on myself or whatever cultural expectations I feel others are putting on me, even if they are not putting on me, you know, uh, really comes for me, it really comes from a space of insecurity. And I really very often, you know, deal with this uh, constant negative self-talk that I am not enough or I am not good enough or I am not doing enough, you know. And even in the moments when I'm able to succeed or I'm able to concretely accomplish something, this thought doesn't just vanish away. You know, it's sometimes it comes in form of, oh, yeah, I was able to achieve this, but it's still not enough because I'm not doing enough and I can do more. And then there are times when it comes from a pure place of like, I want to do more. I want to strive more. I want to be able to live up to my potential. But many times it comes from a place of just not believing, you know, uh, mm. in my own life or not respecting or appreciating my own life. And, uh, you know, one concrete example I have is that, uh, you know, when I started working, right, as, uh, you know, as a full time faculty member, you know, I was, uh, I am, right, a uh, minority woman, you know, a woman from underrepresented minority ethnic backgrounds who are not very well represented in positions of leadership or uh, or in academia in general. And then when I started working, uh, my son uh, was just three months old. So, you know, there were times when I was uh, really doubting, right, my ability to be able to meet all the standards of being a professor, you know, in this world of academia and excelling in my research while really being able to savor the time and take care of my little one. Mm. And, and though, you know, I was able to write, accomplish everything that I was, you know, but I remember when I was trying to have my second baby and I went through, um, you know, a miscarriage my immediate thought was that the reason I'm not having the second baby is because I'm not even a good enough mother to one. Mm. And that's why I'm not having the second one, you know. And that thought, that feeling was so dark and um, created such deep sense of despair, you know, in my heart. But again, I feel so grateful to be able to have uh, a group of friends who practice the same philosophy of Buddhism that I do, you know, uh, with whom I'm able to forge these beautiful friendships, you know, through engaging in our Buddhist community activities. And I remember the day I had miscarriage, I was talking to one of them and she shared with me that Ketima, like this too 
is part of your own beautiful mission to be able to become a truly strong, happy woman who can then relate with others who are going through similar suffering of maybe not able to have a baby or miscarriage or doubt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for themselves. And I think the moment she shared that, right, I honestly then started chanting Namiyoho Renge Kyo that night to be able to use even this painful experience to be able to give hope to someone else in future. Mm-hmm. And as I started chanting, right, like to be able to do that, I also started awakening to the fact that I have been able to nurture a truly happy kid who just becomes friends with everyone. And now I see him as an older brother, you know, to my to my little baby, you know, who was born healthy and happily, you know, like one year later after that miscarriage. And they are so happy, you know, and the way they bond with each other as brothers and how they respect me and my husband. And, you know, in terms of not just this artificial respect, but we just really genuinely respect the time and appreciate the time we are able to spend together and the kind of friend he is, you know, to others. And I just feel that's my goal, you know, to be able to nurture happiest children who can shine in their own unique way, who will not worry about the expectations that are imposed on them but can really fulfill their own unique, beautiful purpose and live happiest life dedicated to happiness of others. Mm. And when I feel I'm able to do that as a parent in my own unique way, while role modeling to them, you know, not sacrificing on different areas of my life, taking care of myself, you know, fulfilling my aspirations. And again, in a way that's true to me, then I feel no sense of guilt, no sense of self-doubt, but this limitless confidence that I'm creating the best possible causes I can as a parent for the happiness of my own family and that of others whom they would serve. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And it's uh, it's so interesting, actually, because like I can feel from you what it is that you're describing when you when you say a, a, a sense of purpose like it like this, again, this vision that you're describing for your children's future, it's almost like it's palpable, you know, that it supersedes the self-doubt or the crazy schedules and that you can instead appreciate the time. Like how often do you hear parents say of young children say, I'm so grateful for the time I can spend with them. You know, I feel like more often than not, I'm hearing people feel like I can't spend enough time with my kids or it's, it's so different, you know? Um, but but I, I wanted to uh, ask one follow up question because I was going to ask, you know, how how we then turn these kind of feelings of, for instance, self-doubt that you described or, you know, sometimes when we go to a dark place based on these kinds of circumstances coming up um, into a sense of purpose. And you touched on you said, I think, a friend uh, or another Buddhist friend told you that this is kind of part of your mission. And in SGI and Nichiren Buddhism, we hear the word mission a lot, which is synonymous essentially with purpose or sense of purpose. Um, but yeah, for someone who's completely new to Buddhism, like, what do you mean by that? Because it can sound a little bit lofty. So maybe we can try to define, yeah, mission or sense of purpose. Like, what is that? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for uh, those beginning, you know, their uh, practice of Buddhism right now, just, you know, wondering about the philosophy of Buddhism. I think I can share from the perspective of how when I first came across this term, right? When I was, you know, 17, 18 years old, right? Reading one of my favorite books by Dr. Daisaku Viketa, Discussions on Youth. In that book, you know, he said to, he's basically engaging in dialogues, you know, with high school students. And he said that each one of you has, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, but he said each one of you has a unique mission or purpose that only you can fulfill. And then he further explains that once we awaken to our life's purpose, then we are able to tap into this limitless wisdom and courage, you know, to be able to persevere, right? And um, when I read that, I asked, you know, some of my friends who were practicing same philosophy of Buddhism that, what is this word mission? <laughs> you know, what is this purpose that, you know, Daisaku Ikeda is referring to, you know, in this book? And then they said that no one can tell me what's my mission or my purpose because it's something unique to me. Mm-hmm. But 
the fact is that I do have a purpose in life, but through my own time, I can awaken, right? Like to what's my purpose, but in a grand way, the way we define purpose in our Buddhist community is world peace mm-hmm. and happiness of everyone, right? So once I, you know, you know, heard that, and then I started chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo to really awaken to the way I chanted was, I really want to awaken to the role that I can play on this grand stage of world peace and happiness of all. Like, what is that I can do in order to really advance people's happiness, their inner sense of happiness mm-hmm. in truest way, you know? Yeah, and that's when I awakened to uh, that I really want to use my life to reduce depression in society. And honestly, that's why I decided to come to US to pursue my master's and PhD in counseling. And now when I reflect on my own sense of purpose, I feel that not just reducing depression, not just addressing the symptom of depression, you know, that comes up, but more like, how can I give hope and sense of courage to other people so that no matter what they are going through, they can continue to believe in the limitless potential of their life and continue to persevere on their own path, right? Whatever the goals they have. So that's what I meant with, you know, purpose. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand. Um, And that's a beautiful way to put it. Because when you say world peace, you know, I mean, again, I'm used to hearing it in the Buddhist community, but it can seem like this uh, laid back attitude, you know, in like a the opposite of of conflict. But like in Buddhism, peace is like almost like a genuine sense of fulfillment. Like you're thoroughly fulfilled in your life, and you're finding a way to contribute to the lives of other people and their happiness, um, which looks completely different for everyone. It could be you're that person in your family and you care for them, or it could be you're advancing your field or yeah. So it's a, it's a beautiful way to describe it. Um, so, okay, let me just recap for a second. So if I'm understanding kind of what, what you're sharing in your personal life, juggling all of these responsibilities, the thing that has it sounds like has allowed you to switch from being like, can I do it all either from a time management perspective or from a self-doubt perspective, it's chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo allows you to remember that sense of purpose. And then having this community of other people to remind you when you can't remind yourself, which we've all been there. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would love to understand maybe also from like your research perspective, um, you know, if someone isn't Buddhist, because you're training counselors in essentially helping people to engage in exactly this. Um, yeah. Like what works or how do you approach a sense of purpose? Like what kind of work are you doing in this space or that you think would be interesting for, for listeners to know, you know, or, or like, is there research that proves that a sense of purpose really matters or how does one learn it? That, that kind of, yeah, whatever, whatever resonates. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was doing my PhD uh, in counselor education, I chose to focus on this topic of sense of purpose. Right. And initially when I chose it, it was purely due to the fact that I realized that it has been my own sense of purpose that has allowed me to be able to persevere on my own career path during the darkest moments of my life, such as when I lost my mother or, you know, when I was having financial difficulties or when I was going through, you know, the sense of isolation or loneliness. I was, every time I kept going back to my sense of purpose, you know, for why am am I pursuing this education? Then I was able to somehow tap into that strength and move forward you know so that's why I wanted to research on it but then you know and and it's true because once I started doing my research on it I realized that there's so many scholars so many amazing researchers in positive psychology counseling human development you know uh, neuroscience you know who have who have been able to show the positive role that sense of purpose plays in people's life across age groups and um across different cultural factors, you know. And one of the studies, in fact, showed that um, sense of purpose plays a more protective role against suicidal ideation than even satisfaction in life. Hmm. And, you know, once we think about it, you know, when people fall into depression or if they want to commit suicide, we often think, 
what are what what might be they missing in their life right how can they achieve greater satisfaction you know from their life or you know achieve what they want to achieve you know from others but in reality research is showing that in those darkest moments when people are battling suicidal ideation sense of purpose plays a more protective role you know it protects them from not giving into you know that sense of giving up right or that acute depression you know mm-hmm. but continue to move forward and similarly my research has primarily focused on high school students college students and working adults you know because it focuses on this theme of persistence towards our you know career goals has shown that um sense of purpose uh, and specifically altruistic sense of purpose because there's so many types of sense of purpose right and one of my study focuses on different types of purpose orientation so it can be oriented towards uh, you know and the study is with my wonderful colleague you know dr yuhi menko but you know she basically developed this scale on purpose orientations that talks about people's sense of purpose can be self oriented or others oriented or career oriented but when sense of purpose our research showed that when sense of purpose is focused on benefiting others then also it truly helps in persistence or greater commitment or greater sense of fulfillment and and even satisfaction and greater sense of happiness you know so that's what research has shown and uh, now currently i'm focusing on how can we strengthen students sense of purpose within educational settings Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, wait. So so if I understood that correctly, so the first point was that a sense of purpose is protects one against suicidal ideation even more than satisfaction or a feeling of that. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. Um and then the second point was on top of that um it remind me the second point. Second point in top of that, you know, it's a uh, when sense when people are able to define their sense of purpose in the context oh. of how they can benefit others like how they can mm-hmm. contribute to others well-being then it becomes even more stronger force to help them to keep persevering and not give up yeah oh my gosh yeah i feel like that explains buddhism <laughs> like <laughs> that's so crazy uh yeah this is a kind of an aside but i remember as a teenager i was obsessed with this question of where does the impulse to stay alive come from and i never found a satisfying answer to that question until i read this line in um i think his wisdom of the lotus sutra where this like doctor says something along the lines of like if you don't know why you're living then you don't have the right to tell somebody else that they have to which like for me was mind blowing because the way that we encourage other people to develop a sense of purpose is by first having our own. You know what I mean? Like that is why it's encouraging to hear people at Buddhist meetings like share about the philosophy because you know that they're trying their best to practice it in this altruistic way like to encourage you and themselves. So anyway, sorry. That's an aside, but that's so fascinating. I didn't realize that research is already showing that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, another way uh what we, how research is aligning right with this fond philosophy of buddhism is that my other set of studies are qualitative right so these were quantitative studies that you know showed the role of sense of purpose in terms of statistical quantitative measures right but then there are these qualitative studies that i'm doing that try to explore how do people develop a sense of purpose you know and one theme that keeps coming up across different groups is that many times people transform their own adversity or most painful circumstances or what they have gone through into their sense of purpose you know into a way that they can contribute to others lives so for example one of the participants in my studies shared that you know because she has experienced a uh, trauma you know growing up she wants to now be a school counselor who can support other young children you know who are experiencing trauma so so nothing about our life goes a waste right like so everything that we go through in our life you know um including those darkest of like moments or painful hardships many times people transform that into their sense of purpose yeah yeah that that 100% makes sense and um what you're describing and it's come up on so many episodes as well as there's this concept as you probably know in Buddhism called turning poison into medicine 
which um, follows the idea, as you said, that nothing in life is wasted because everything is cause and effect. So you can utilize even the worst of experiences and by chanting about them, find both meaning in them, but also a way to create value. So whether that's a career choice or uh, just changing a relationship or encouraging somebody else. So I love that. Um, yeah, this is so interesting so far. Thank you for everything you've shared. I, so I want to I want to move to my closing questions. But before we go to the how I usually end the show, I wanted to ask one more follow up. And you've already began to touch on this. But um, so if sense of purpose is so important, both from a Buddhist perspective, but also from a research perspective, you you said that you're now you know studying how to foster it in students. Um, but I'm just thinking for anybody who's listening, who's like, I don't feel like I have a sense of purpose or, um, you know, maybe someone has gone through a tremendous hardship and they want to make meaning of it. Or, or maybe it's kind of they're, they're just feeling a little bit empty or like neutral, you know, and then like, where do you find that fire? It's really, really hard. So I'm curious how you'd answer that or like, have you seen strategies or interventions or, or practices or anything that people can actually do to further develop a, a sense of purpose? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm still... Uh... <laughs> I'm still racking my brain around this question, right? Because this is what I want to be able to do is to is to be able to implement strategies within counseling sessions, within educational spaces as an educator, you know, you know, also to support, you know, my friends, you know, who seek this, right, on how they can, right, like awaken to their own sense of purpose and move on the path of fulfilling it. And, you know, for myself, um, I remember at the time when I was taking care of my, you know, now also I'm taking care of my young baby at home while working from home, right? And when he was, uh, you know, really little and then I was just feeling like, oh my gosh, like there's so many, you know, times when there is an important work meeting, but I have to take care of him and how will I, you know, like do it all, right? But at that time I started chanting to be able to attract one of the best opportunities I can, you know, at my workplace in order to truly fulfill my purpose, you know? instead of feeling this sense of guilt for not being able to give my best to my career the way I was thinking about it. And then I uh, received a grant award to create a course titled Fostering Sense of Purpose for undergrad students in my own university. Mm. And once I was developing this course, I started reflecting on my own journey of awakening to sense of purpose and then moving forward and fulfilling it. And then really did extensive research on the kind of strategies that can support others, you know, to wake into their strength and a sense of purpose or strengthen their current sense of purpose. So some of the phases, right, it's not like an overnight strategy that can just work, you know, that today I'm feeling total lack of purpose and tomorrow I'm suddenly absolutely like, you know, uh, strong in my sense of purpose. But, you know, research has shown that, even taking out time to simply reflect on this question of what is the greater purpose of my life or who am I? What are some of my life's most underlying, you know, important values that define me, right? So what's my personal identity, my social cultural identity, my family's history, you know, my community's history, what really defines me? What are my life's important values? And then what are my life's most important goals that I truly want to strive for? You know, goals that really matter, not just goals that I believe other people want me to strive for or, you know, based on expectations that we pose on ourselves or others on us or others tell us, you know, but really from within, what do we feel are like my life's most important aspirations that I want to truly strive for. And very often these aspirations, they, you know, research has shown they come, you know, as one overarching sense of purpose, right? So, so if my aspiration is to nurture happiest of children who can contribute to others happiness, or be able to nurture the most capable counselors, who can give hope to others in the moments when others might be really in the darkest of moments mm. or, you know, whatever, right? Like many times these goals, these aspirations, they come together into this overarching, you know, purpose that we are trying to fulfill through our life, right? So just being able to reflect on who we are, what are our life's important aspirations, 
how they all connect together you know and reflecting maybe through writing a journal entry or through sharing it with a friend or through engaging in dialogues about this topic but somehow being able to articulate it mm-hmm. to be able to put it into words you know help also to determine to achieve it and then and the way to strengthen sense of purpose is often that research has shown that once we awaken to this purpose in life it's also important to set very clear goals so clear short term goals clear long term goals that can help us to achieve you know that purpose so so yeah uh, so many strategies right and there's so much research on it but i think everyone's journey is so unique but if we can somehow connect all this together right like you know who am i and what am i trying to achieve in life it comes together into this beautiful coherent sense of purpose but it's a journey that's unique to everyone yeah yeah completely uh understand and it's uh interesting like as you were describing that uh it's so this is funny i i i was listening to the radio this morning it was like a like a psychologist who is an expert in sleep and uh they were having this conversation about how sometimes people can't sleep because they worry so much like you you get into bed and then like the worrying begins and uh he was describing this technique in cognitive behavioral therapy of just schedule time to worry like give yourself 15 minutes at a specific time and then allow yourself to sit there and like worry about whatever you need to and then if it comes up at night you know that tomorrow you're going to have time to really reflect on it and then figure out what to do and as you're describing this just cuz i just heard that this morning i it, like just having the space like a place or a time when you can actually think about your sense of purpose or like vision what your goals are i feel like in the buddhist community almost all of our meetings are centered one way or another on that but like enriched by the study of this philosophy and sometimes when people join or they're interested in joining buddhist meetings or their local buddhist group they ask like what do you do there like what's what's why can't i just chant by myself at home and it's because of this like my best aha moments um just as you're describing i'm like what do i really want to do have come through dialogue with other people when we're like really sitting down and okay so it's you know december's coming up like what are your goals or what's on your mind like what do you want to chant about what do you want to change so yeah i love how much that resonates just with this daily buddhist practice that i've almost begun to take for granted um so thank you so much for sharing all of that no totally yeah and we you know because also another way it aligns with research is that research has shown that many times young people specifically they struggle to have a sense of purpose in life because they don't believe that they have a purpose in life because they don't believe in their life's potential mm-hmm. or they lack hope for future right because current circumstances can be so heavy and uh, difficult that sometimes it becomes difficult to envision something for the future or have hope for the future or believe in life's potential when we are feeling like we are not succeeding in anything presently but that's where also right such dialogues you know mm. with those who are grounded in a philosophy that encourages belief in you know human potential really helps because once i believe in my potential and i hope for future then i also i can reflect on what do we what do i really want to aspire to achieve through this life you know towards my future yeah absolutely yeah i love that um so i want to make it a, just a little bit uh practical for people cuz i i'm 100% convinced about this like now this endeavor to strengthen our sense of purpose and i know that we can really gain that from from buddhist practice um but but just you know i'm thinking of even your own journey right like to start your practice at a time that felt very dark where you know you're almost in a situation where things are a little bit out of your control and that's why you're suffering in the in the example you shared with your family but i'm sure many many times other things come up that make people feel that heavy or powerless um and then the the sort of uh what's the word for it almost like whatever the opposite of sense of purpose is like the sense of hopelessness can take over and it can turn into i'm not good enough i can't do anything what's the point other people are better than me why should i try etc cetera, etc cetera. so um what would you say uh just from your experience like if you had to boil it down um to you know these are the things that can help you 
combat that and that you've learned either from what you're doing at school or from your Buddhist practice? Like when you kind of go into that dark place, like this could help. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel what really helps me and what can really help everyone is just warm words of encouragement that are filled, Mm -hmm. you know, with hope and belief in our potential. Because truly there are days, like even if my whole research, right, focuses on importance of well-being and positive self-talk and, you know, there are days when I really, really struggle to just simply believe in myself. And those are the days when I have to carve out time to pick up an SGI publication and read, you know, like some encouragement uh, specifically by Daisa Kuikeda, you know, um, that really warms, you know, my heart or pick up the phone and just call one of my friends, you know, who I know can believe in my life's potential and can have respect and appreciation for my life, even when I am so negatively judging my own self, you know. Mm. So um, words of encouragement play a very powerful role, you know, through either reading or just, you know, calling a friend and, but not to struggle alone, Mm. you know, not to like, I never allow myself to struggle alone because I know I can always reach out to some powerful words of encouragement that can help me to immediately win over, you know, these negative thoughts that are making me doubt the dignity and potential of my own life. Mm. And then once I'm able to hold on to, right, that hope or that piece of encouragement in my heart, then I, you know, you know, like how we walk on treadmill to strengthen our muscles, right? Like whatever, like strengthen our physical body or nourish ourselves with warm, hot tea to, you know, like just nourish our physical being. For me, it's like when I start chanting, I feel like um, I'm nourishing this inner life of mine or I'm able to finally enter the space of this limitless courage, hope and purpose that is already within me, but might be just so clouded with insecurities, you know. Mm. But in the process of chanting, I feel like I'm able to win over those dark clouds of insecurities or self-doubt or judgments or comparing myself with others and just bring forth, right? Like the fact that, no, like I have what it takes to be able to live a truly happy fulfilling life in a way that is true to myself Mm. and then feel this surge of energy to just do my best whatever my best looks like in that moment one day at a time to actualize my purpose yeah what a beautiful way to put it thank you for I feel like I needed to hear that so thank you for sharing that because I I wholeheartedly agree that the encouragement when you just you're lost or you're just full of doubt and then getting yourself back to be able to chant it is it is exactly like that uh nourishing like how you feel so much better after you just like go for a walk or warm up with tea or those are just yeah beautiful analogies um so so then I wonder uh because you touched on this like do you have any favorite uh quotes or concepts or reading or or anything that you find encouraging or that relates to this this topic from Buddhism You know, one of my favorite books is on attaining Buddhahood in this lifetime uh, by Daisaku Ikeda. And yesterday I was reading that Daisaku Ikeda was really clarifying that attaining in the statement of attaining Buddhahood is not like one fine day I will become this perfect Buddha-like, you know, person, right? It's, It's more like In this moment, no matter what I am going through, I can open up or reveal this inherent life state of courage, compassion, wisdom, joy that is already within me. And all I have to do is just let it shine, you know, like just open up. So in this particular book, On Attaining Buddhahood in This Lifetime, you know, there are so many beautiful analogies. And one of my favorite analogy is that of an egg. 
And when we look at an egg, you know, it's just yellow yolk, right? That we feel comprises that of an egg. But when the mother bird sits on this egg and gives it warmth, this yolk changes into this beautiful bird that can fly. And I love that analogy because, you know, Daisaku Ikeda is expressing that it's so natural and similar with chanting of Namiyoho Renge Kyo that sometimes, you know, we feel that we don't have what it takes to do it all or that there is some area of my life that I need to compromise on in order to succeed in another area of my life. But the reality is that within my life, we have this limitless potential to be able to achieve, you know, our life's most cherished goals to our heart's content. And when we chant Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, it's like this warmth of the mother bird that just allows this potential to flow forth, you know? So I love that book so much. Wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that analogy. It's, yeah, because that potential that you're describing, that is what on this show we call bootability, right? Like everyone has it. And uh, I love, yeah, like without exception, everyone has it. And I love that because, you know, the only thing stopping one from wherever you feel you are right now to that, to uh, producing that warmth and then that life or that generation is whether you have the guts to try because it's there it's just dormant you just have to access it you know <laughs> so um I really really love that thank you for sharing um so I yeah I want to be mindful of your time so I will move to my closing question this is just I feel like we could talk forever because it's so fascinating I feel like there's so many insights you've shared already that are going to be so helpful to so many people um but I always love to end the show with the question um, of advice so if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's listening who might be new to chanting and maybe in the midst of struggling to do it all or just feeling this sense of self-doubt, um, what one piece of advice would you give them? I would just really, really want to say that please believe in yourself. And I have gone through the moments when I have not believed in myself and uh, and that feeling of not believing in myself has often resulted in this self-doubt or feeling like I'm not able to achieve a perfect balance in all areas of my life and all that. And another thing that I you know, would really like to share is that um, recently when I was feeling that my to-do list is greater than my life's potential, <laughs> you know, in this limited time of 24 hours or whatever, however we perceive time, I came across these words by Taisaku Ikeda. And he said, time is nothing other than the mystic rhythm of cosmic life. Hence, when we chant Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, our lives will accord with the time. And time will always be on our side. So I'm somewhat, you know, paraphrasing it. But this word that time will always be on our side, I've truly realized it. That when I'm able to chant Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, I'm able to meet right people, right support, with right opportunities at the right time. And I'm able to manifest the right abilities or take the right decision at the right time to just enjoy a truly fulfilling, purposeful life. And um, yeah, so time is not this limited construct that I'm trying to chase. You know, that's what I felt after reading these words. But when I'm chanting Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, I'm just doing my best, you know, to contribute to my own happiness and that of others. And in rhythm with the compassionate life force of the universe, then time will always be on my side. And it's not something that I need to worry about. I want to leave you today with a few more words from Ikeda, which are about the power of the heart. Something, I think, that might be another way of looking at where our sense of purpose comes from. He writes, When our heart and sense of purpose change, everything changes. As we work for the happiness and welfare of others, we enter a path in which our lives come to shine with the greatest possible brilliance. It's just as the Daishonin says when he writes, If one lights a fire for others, 
one will brighten one's own way. On that note, if you're new to chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, as always, there are plenty of resources at foodability.org. And if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. Also, we won't have an episode next week due to the holiday. So that's all for today, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.